I feel like uh, I think I think there's an actually oh, this Mic check, mic check. Can you hear us okay? Yeah. Do you wanna mic check that? The mic is hot. Yes. I just I wanna hear you say mic check, Scott. Mic check. <laughs> welcome, welcome to NPR. <laughs> Today, it's the freaking Frack Brothers. Today we're discussing something very exciting. I hope you're as excited as I am. <laughs> Is that good enough? That's beautiful. Thank you. All right. So are we live, my friends? We're live. All right. All right. Um, first, I want to say thank you to everyone who is here this evening for the launch of the Collective uh, 2020. Um, I want to also thank our speakers who are here and to acknowledge that we are going to be passing a microphone back and forth throughout this entire conversation. Um, Jimmy Choi is an associate vice president at ASU, Arizona State University, leading entrepreneurship and innovation in service to schools and units across the institution and the greater community. She has previously served in various fast-paced and evolving roles at NYU and Columbia University and a number of startups, both for-profit and non-profit. Jimmy is a New Yorker by way of Seoul and has been <coughs> with ASU since 2015. All right. Welcome, Jimmy. Yeah. All right. And Scott Smith, he is the former mayor of Mesa. You heard that he was one of the individuals that brought higher education here, the light rail, but also, if you did not know, he invented the roundabout. <laughs> he invented the roundabout, and his new role, or his current role, is the CEO of Valley Transit, which is why he invented the Valley Metro, which is why he invented the roundabout. So thank you so much, Scott, for being here. Appreciate that. I learned that yesterday in our meeting. One other thing is that I'm widely acclaimed and recognized as one of the two best mayors in Mesa over the last 10 years. Thank you very much. I don't know if we should thank him for the roundabout or curse him for the roundabout. Okay, I got to tell you something. I, I, I've I told this story. I was following a little bit of social media whenever the roundabout comes up on Maine. By the way, you know how many four-way roundabouts there are with rail in the United States? One. Mesa, Arizona. There's 60 in the world. We actually did a study. But, uh, you know, quite a few people, many probably here, don't like roundabouts. And so they told me uh, on social media, I'm reading it, just getting a big kick out of the statements until finally one of them said, there's a special place in hell for people like you. <laughs> That's what it's like being mayor, right, John? Yes. I love very much that you just told that story. Thank you. Um, so today we're talking about creativity across sectors. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to talk about that, but the primary reason is because we recognize that uh, in order to be competitive in any industry, you have to have that ability to break outside of your box and to get creative. And Jimmy and Scott really embody that in a lot of ways, and they're also really amazing leaders within our community. So, um, so the questions that we have for them today 
are uh, really centered around this idea. So first question, was there a time where you were perceived as the oddball because you think differently? And how did you use it to your advantage? Jimmy, do you want to start? First of all, let me just say thanks for having me here. And I thanked Mayor Giles for this already for arranging this gorgeous evening. Uh, if this is what every night in Mesa is going to be like, just count me in. I'll be here every night, microphone or not. Um, and of course, it's not weird at all, like speaking into a microphone while I'm trying to look at you at the same time. So forgive me for the little bit of voice in and out here, maybe. Um, has there been a time when I've not been considered an oddball, I think is the better question to ask. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things and a lot of situations where, frankly, for me, names and labels, positive or negative, is the power that you give to them. So oddball can be very powerful because you can say, like, look, I'm going to be the weirdo here and go out on a limb, and how's this for a crazy idea? And sometimes, you know, it's not that crazy at all, but by setting that expectation, it just shifts perceptions a little bit here and there. So I think a lot of, you know, life is really about, and creativity actually is really about the recombination of perspective, the recombination of ideas, being a little bit unexpected while maybe being also familiar at the same time, subverting what you might see as what is weird these days, right? Is it weird that you know, you've got a sleeve of tattoos? Maybe 20 years ago it was considered weird. Is that considered weird today? I don't think so. You know, so I really think that a lot of the power when it comes to words has to do with how you view them. But more importantly, what I really love about words is that you can pull <coughs> off the meaning entirely. I'll give you one short example. We work with a lot of people who say, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just a business owner. I just employ 10 people, or I'm just a seamstress, or I'm just a technologist. For me, you know, people have often said, well, here's what we think we need to do. We need to stop using the word entrepreneur. I actually think the complete opposite. I think we need to use the word entrepreneur more, and I think we need to have that definition be more inclusive and reflective of the variety of entrepreneurship as a whole. So instead of saying, I'm going to back off, that's not who I am, I really appreciate the idea of I'm going to lean in, and guess what? Look at me, I'm an oddball, and this is what oddballs look like. They're successful, they get stuff done, they are able to move ideas to action, and if that's what being an oddball means, count me in. I just got back from a trip over overseas, um, and, uh, and one of the places we went was a uh, oh was a a place for crazy people. I guess it was like a, a like an incubator, uh, open space type of thing. And I was really struck by what was on a poster by the door as you entered in this place. And I took a picture of it. Now I'm sorry, all of you can't see it, but I'm going to read it to you. It says. Here's to the crazy ones, the rebels, the misfits, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently, and it's spelled backwards. They're not fond of rules. They have no respect for the status quo. You quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And as, the, as some see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Mm. So yeah, that, that, really, that really struck me. Because I don't know crazy or an oddball. But yeah, I've, I've felt like I, uh, when I came up with some wild ideas or some things, and this was usually my staff who thought this. Um, yeah, people think you're an oddball. I one time came back and I had this 
crazy idea that we should shoot fireworks off of the Mesa Art Center <laughs> and off of City Hall. I'd been to Hong Kong and seen, an, uh, uh, and seen a, um, uh, a fireworks show in, in Hong Kong Harbor, and I said, I want to shoot fireworks for the 4th of July. Now, what happened is that we had canceled the, uh, the, fire, the 4th of July show at Mesa Community College, a wonderful thing that the Sotoma Club had done for decades. And they said, well, can we restart this? And I said, yeah, but I'm never going to shoot off fireworks in a football stadium again. They go, why not? I said, well, everybody does that. That's normal. Why would you do something that's normal? Well, because that's how it's always been done. Wrong. I want to shoot fireworks off the, off the top of City Hall. And I was so fortunate because I actually had staff who thought I was dead serious, and I was. And they went, and they figured out, they said, oh, the fire department will, let you, let, will not let you do that. Well, the fire department thought it was just crazy enough that they said yes. They said, here's the rules. Here's what we have to do. The problem was with the insurance company. And then I, found, I learned something. There's actually special fireworks that you use when you want to shoot off the top of buildings. So in 2010, we had the first celebration of freedom here in downtown Mesa, packed downtown, 30, 40,000 people, and we shot fireworks off of the City Hall and the Art Center at the same time. I still have pictures. Every time I look at that, it brings chills up my back because I realized just how stinking crazy that was <laughs> and how amazing it was, too. So, yeah, I, I, I've been happy to... The more oddballish I think that I am, uh, the happier I am because, obviously, we're doing something that's crazy. Beautiful. All right. So next question is uh, kind of geared towards failure. And when we were talking, Jen and I, we figured out, you know, in creativity, like failure is an inherent part of creativity, right? You have to be able to take risks and you have to be okay with failure. Um, and as leaders, we need to be able to support that in the folks that uh, help make up our team. So can you give an example of a time that you took a risk, you failed, and what you learned from it? I've been thinking about this for a day, and I, frankly, I can't think of any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I failed at a lot of things. Um, I'll tell you one of the biggest failures I had. Uh, I'm a non-coffee drinker for a variety of reasons, and I got, I got talked into investing in a coffee shop that would compete with Starbucks. And it was a really good idea. Did I mention I'm a non-coffee drinker? <laughs> I found out that if you're going to make money, choose your vices more wisely. <laughs> um, and, I, and I learned so much uh, from that one thing. I, I learned how not to manage people. I learned how not to, uh, to uh, not mind the store. I learned how not to accept the status quo more than that. And it was a real hard lesson because it cost me real money, and it took me years to unwind out of that thing. And I also learned that that if you're going to be creative, you also have to control your creativity. You have to be the one that not only thinks up the idea, but is able to manage the idea. Uh, because if you leave it up to others, uh, then your success is, is not in your hands anymore. It was a very expensive lesson. Uh, and I, I've, I've learned more from my failures, uh, you know, the many bad ideas, and the things that I've actually put money and time and energy into than I really have out of my successes. Um, you know, I, 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 I never have, feared, have feared, I never have feared failure, but I have respected it. 
I respect the marketplace. I respect that it's brutal out there. And that ideas, there's a lot of people with great ideas. There's a mere fraction of the great ideas that ever see reality. And that's due to a lot of things. Uh, but you have to respect the world and understand that failure is part of the growing experiences. You know, there's, you can pick up a book on all the sayings on failure, you know, what Thomas Edison said, I, I didn't have uh, 10,000 uh, failures before the light, I just had, what, 10,000 learning experiences, things like that. But it's true. Uh, the thing is, the one thing is respect failure and that no matter how crazy your idea is, it's merely one more step. It's merely one more, one more thing. No, no failure is fatal. Well, until you die, then, then that is fatal. But, but you take, you take smart risks, not stupid risks. I mean, being creative doesn't mean being stupid. It doesn't mean being cavalier. But it means respect uh, that that success is not a gift. Nobody owes you anything, and failure certainly isn't a sentence. It's merely a learning experience. And as long as you respect it and don't and don't fear it you're willing to take those kind of risks. Ditto. <laughs> um, I, so, and also, yeah, I, you know, there's a reason why there's all of this um, idea of leaning into failure, because it's true, right? F not all failures are fatal, it's all relative. If you're a heart surgeon, maybe, right? Maybe if there's a specific thing you could have controlled for. So at the end of the day, I think everything is relative. You have to be looking at what the big picture is, what if it's on the path towards, you know, is this on the step towards other things? You know, for me, failure just is not uh, something that I dwell on or that we like our teams to dwell on or that we really focus on in, in any particular way because there's, there's the learning that comes from it and if you keep calling it just failure as opposed to this particular experience or something that wasn't successful yet, then it takes too much power over you. And so frankly, there's plenty of times when things have happened, there's plenty of times when um, there's just been painful experiences and you have to go through that. We had a partnership with a private company about two years ago and it's one of those things where I learned a tremendous amount from the fact where we trusted this partner. They pulled up stakes on something with very little notice and basically um, really upended a lot of expectations for a lot of people. You could dwell on it or you could figure out, okay, how do we not let this happen again? How do we move forward from this? How do we recover from this? And frankly, I think that's the difference between success and failure those that recover from it and how quickly you recover from it and those that dwell on it. And I'd like to talk about somebody else's failure since he's sitting right here. Uh, you know, John Giles was a failure. Uh, you know, John, John had, a, had, a, had a, a, a dream that involved building upon the college thing and bringing ASU downtown. And the first try at that failed big time, flat on its face. Most people, especially most politicians, would have said, okay, learned my lesson, walked away. Uh, and uh, we're getting ready to start construction of ASU downtown, Mesa, because he was, he was willing to pick it up, learn from the mistakes, and find a different way to succeed. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be rough. He's taken a lot of crap for it. We'll continue to take crap. And I, I predict that five, 10 years from now, people will be singing his praise because the, they won't think about the failure as they will be enjoying the success about somebody who was willing to not walk away from a failure, but recognize that that was just one step. Uh, and so I laud him for, for doing that because that was, it was, a lot of people said it was stupid. No, it was gutsy. And that's the other thing about, about failure, you gotta be gutsy.
if I could just add one thing to that. Um, Mayor Giles gave me far too much credit for the whole vision of what's going to be Creative City Center. Um, so it takes a lot of people. And by the way, there's a lot of people that absolutely believe in your vision, and that's why we're here, and that's why we keep showing up. And that's why we're going to show up for this next iteration. Um, Arizona State University believed in the idea that you had about really advancing future technology and giving people ways, real, tangible, actual ways to interact with future technology. And so that's the other thing to learn from, right, is that if the idea is solid, if the person that you're backing is solid, people will show up and they'll continue to back you up. So I just wanted to say that as well. All right, I think uh, we, we may have some questions from, uh, from all of you. So we're, oh, can you hear me? Okay, there we go. Um, but we have one more question planned. Um, since we know how important creativity is, and since you are both responsible for so many people, how do you support creative development within your staff? You know, it's it, it's a it's a continuation of our last question. Uh, when I when I first came in as mayor, uh, Mace had gone through some rough times, and there was a culture of um, there was a culture of, of, of fear of failure. People feared what would happen to them. And one of the first things we need to do is to create innovation is to remove, is to create a safe zone for failure. To let people understand that it's okay to fail. As a matter of fact, we told people, not only are you going not going to be punished for innovation and for trying things and failing, but your evaluation will be based on if you do not try things and do not have some managed failures, that's going to count against you. So the one thing that I try to do in, uh, here at the city and then at Valley Metro, which is a bureaucracy. I'm not a very good bureaucrat. Uh, I had somebody uh, about a year ago who came to me in all seriousness, and they, they, they said, you don't like boundaries very much, do you? <laughs> That's not a good place for a bureaucrat to be. Uh, but I had a staff who believed very much in not only boundaries, but high walls. Uh, the city staff here believed in high walls. The thing that got us over the hump here is that we had a massive $65, $70 million deficit, and creativity was the only way out of it. And we gave them free reign and said, we, 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 you have a safe zone, uh, safe zone to be creative, to be innovative. We expect that. It's been different at Valley Metro because we haven't had a $65 million deficit. The, the crisis isn't there. Uh, and it's hard getting people to give up that guarded nature, almost that fear that somehow they're, they're going to be punished for trying new things for failure. Uh, and that failure will be punished. So as a leader, you try the best you can to empower people first, and secondly, to protect them, to have their back. And if they try something and fail, they knew they know that I will always back them up. I'll take the blame, I'll take the arrows, I'll take whatever, because that's my job. And uh, you know, people who are creative love that and thrive in that. Uh, you know, Jimmy works in an environment where uh, it's expected that you try things. I've heard that there's a bit of innovation going on at ASU. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And, and that's what you need to do as a leader, is when you say encourage, a lot of it is, is that make people feel safe with trying things. And make people understand that you expect them to try things and encourage them when they do fail that it's not a big deal. Okay, so what? You failed. All right, now you've learned something. Let's go on and do the other thing. And that doesn't exist in most organizations. It's, it's, it seems like it's common sense, but it's very rare to have that in an organization. 
So I, I do think that creativity is a form of innovation, right? It's a way to, again, re, um, reimagine things, recombine things, re-perceive re things, look at things a little bit differently. Uh, there's a lot of connectivity with the idea of creative innovation because it's really about you know being free to look at things in a different way and then being able to experiment with that. So the one dimension I'd like to add to this is not only creating the space and the, the facility and the idea that you can be safe doing it, but to give many opportunities to do it. Creativity, many of you know, it's, it's a muscle, it's a memory. You have to keep developing it, you have to keep working on it, you have to keep writing the words over and over and over again, you have to keep painting the brush strokes. You have to try it a lot of times. And one of the things that's special about ASU, and the reason why, you know, no joke, five years in a row, number one in innovation, it's because the, it shows up in many different ways. It shows up in the degree programs, it shows up in the types of facilities, it shows up in our partnerships, it shows up in the way we approach professional development. And so it's not on one metric or factor alone, unlike things like you know, academic outcome only. It really is the combination of a variety of things, and so it's the culture overall. And the culture overall at Arizona State University is not only that you're empowered to do it, but that you're asked to continue to build that muscle over and over again. And so in my case, you know, I'm lucky. Entrepreneurship and innovation, by definition, means that you have to try and do different things. At the same time, though, it's not a, a given. People are people. Some people can fall into ruts. And so it's one small thing. Even as a team, we will make the time and effort to say, we'll have lunch together, and everybody's going to bring in a game. Yesterday, we had a team lunch, and they were playing a game called What? It was a silly game, but just the idea that your brain can dual process and actually focus on nothing but putting together a jigsaw puzzle or putting together you know, this, this silly word game, and your background processing starts to get freed up to think about the problem you've been thinking about for work, how am I going to solve this thing, how am I going to get this convening to happen, how do I get the agenda to line up? It really gives you that muscle memory and ability to just let go for a while. So, and as Jimmy said, you know, let's go back to our first question. Creativity is not natural. People are creative, but expressing that creativity is contra to the natural condition. That's why you're an oddball if you're considered creative. The comfort zone is in the status quo. The comfort zone is in doing that which was done yesterday because. And this is the interesting thing in government, nobody's ever gotten fired in government for doing what someone did yesterday. <laughs> uh, that's, that, is, that is the natural state of things. And so in order to accomplish this and create that environment, you really have to work at it, both individually and organizationally, to, to allow and to foster creativity. But most of all, you have to decide for yourself. I'm going to get off the couch. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do more than what is necessary because the natural tendency is just to, uh, to do what you need to to survive and to live. That, that's easy to do. It's hard to do creative stuff. It's hard to do, even if it's natural, it's still hard to do that. So you really need to set your mind at, you know, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to create this, uh, this atmosphere. Right. So in that vein, too, it is hard to, to exercise that muscle of creativity. And that's kind of why... Uh, we invested so much into this program, the collective, right? The Creative Leadership Institute. Uh, is it an institute? It is now. Um, so you, you heard it first. It's an institute. Um, but it's a program, right? And, and we, we invested in that because we believe in, in that program. And so just in our final kind of closing thoughts, your sales pitch, right, to all the folks here that are either thinking about being a part of the uh, collective or they know somebody on their staff or a part of their team that they would like to go through this. 
Uh, what can a program like the collective that focuses on uh, creativity, leadership, equitable mindfulness, kind of project-based learning, what can a program like that um, be of value to, to somebody who's thinking about going through this program? I'll, I'll give you the final word. You know, one of the things, I, I was a home builder and developer long before I, I got into polish and everything, and was there in the 90s when things such as traditional neighborhood development, new urbanism, and all this line of thought came, and also the internet opening up. And one of the things that was projected uh, and was forecast that has turned out to be a massive failure is that people said with connectivity and people being able to work from wherever they wanted to and to live wherever they wanted to, that you would see people fleeing the cities out into the countryside uh, because they could easily connect, right? The world is flat type of thing from Thomas Friedman. And they found that that's been exact, that that has not only not happened, it's been the exact opposite. And why? Because creative people like to be around other creative people. They love to be in environments where they have people that are also motivated and, and creative, and, and they thrive in that environment. And, and, and you just can't replicate that um, with Skype, with FaceTime. You can't do it. You got to be in the same room, in the same place, uh, with the same spontaneity. And that's why programs like this are so exciting. Because the mere fact that you're, you're here together and you, and you want to be part of it means that you're you're searching for or committed to the same type of uh, of deal, and 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 if you can grab onto that and be around people that have the same kind of aspirations that you do, even if it's in a different area, uh, that's where you can thrive. Because all of a sudden, it's weird because you're not weird. You're not an oddball, but you're not normal. Everybody's an oddball. And this isn't the Sneeches. This is not Dr. Seuss. <laughs> But the fact is that when you're around creative people, you really do feed off of each other, and there's an energy that comes that you just can't get off by yourself. Now, a lot of your most creative moments will be when you leave that group and go off yourself, but you've, been, you've learned and you've been prepared and you've been focused on that. So that's why these programs are, are important and fun and beneficial is there aren't a whole lot of places where you can, in an organized manner, be around people who are disorganized and creative. And that's a great... That's a great, great place to be. I couldn't agree more. I think giving yourself, one, the time and the brain space and the permission to do something like this is so important, right? To say that I'm going to invest in not only this time for myself, but then invest in this group, and then what that means for a community like Mesa in terms of what those outputs are. Um, the interoperability of having cohorts of people who have a shared experience, who had shared goals with each other, who had shared language around creativity, who supported each other, who pushed each other, frankly, right? So some of that is really also about rubbing against people and saying, like, is that really what you meant? And ha holding each other accountable. The outputs of a program like that then means that you have this cohort, and then the next time you have another cohort and another cohort, and that actually does create connectivity. Um, I do think that you can connect across time and space, but you can also connect across shared experiences. And there's almost a shorthand that comes out of it. It's a shared lingo, right? It's a shared, uh, I see you, you see me, we had a shared experience. It may not have been the same, which is the beauty of it, but that actually does connect you even closer. I never believed, and you may disagree, that Lennon and McCartney wrote as good a music after they were together as they did when they were together. And I mean, they'll talk about how although they didn't write songs together, that, that being together created some magic, some special type of thing that they didn't have when we were working by themselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Synergy is very important. And, and on that note, like 
We have, so if you were a part of the first cohort of the collective, please raise your hand. Woo! Woo! What, what? They are all here. And I, I couldn't think of, of a better way to, you know, if you want information and you're curious about, you know, what something like this can do for you or, or somebody on your team, talk to them because they, they can explain it in ways that we can't because of that, like you're talking about, that synergy and that the collective is intentional, right? It is a collective of minds and we're very, very intentional um, about, and I'll say this because a lot of times people ask, well, who, who are your ideal candidates, right? And the answer is really anyone who's open and willing to come in and be a part of this movement. Um, because yes, we are designing curriculum so that the folks that come, they have a learning experience. Um, but we want folks to come with their own set of knowledge and tools that they can share with us. It's really a shared learning environment. We talked about this yesterday. We're not uh, building this where it's the banking model of education, where the folks that are coming are just empty vessels and we have all the knowledge and we're depositing in them. That is not at all what this is. They are coming with experiences and information and knowledge yeah. that they share collectively and that's what makes the collective, right? And so it's very intentional. So talk to them. Um, we are all kind of gonna be here for another 30 minutes. So if you want to have those organic conversations, please do so. Um, if you have questions for Jen or myself, um, this the point of this this meeting and this kind of uh, collection of people is to talk about what it is and hopefully you'll be investing in the collective. So thank you all so much. Thank you too for, for your insight and being here. It's, a, it's an honor. Um, thank you to everyone at the Mesa Art Center, all of our staff who helped make this happen. And uh, yeah, have fun, get some more food and uh, go hug someone with permission. <laughs> have a great night. Ask first. It's important.